Well, again, good morning, everybody. Um, wanted to mention, I, I said it briefly before, uh, you're going to have some great speakers over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to take a little time off, and I think you're really going to enjoy who you're going to be hearing. Um, getting some of that rest I was talking about at the beginning. So there's a satirical news site called The Onion. Uh, you may or may not have read an article from The Onion online, but there was one, even though this is a fictional website, that ran particularly true. As a matter of fact, it had a strong uh, element of truth in it. The title of the article on The Onion, remember these are fictional articles written out of satire, was called World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. It went on to say the World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide. The condition has no cure. It went on to quote the director as saying, I was really hoping with all those new radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobics TV shows, and what have you, that we might at least make a dent in it this year. World Health Organization Director General Dr. Gernst Blatt said, unfortunately, it would appear that the death rate remains constant and total as it has inviably since the dawn of time. It's true. If you've seen the statistics on death, they're impressive. One in one of us are going to die. The question is, how do we prepare for that moment? We don't know when this is going to happen. We don't know where it's going to happen. And maybe some of you have had a brush with it at some point in your life. And you wondered, is this the moment? No doubt that we've all felt the sting of it, having lost someone at some point that we love. Then I get to a passage, though, like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says there in verses 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to talk about this morning, that, you know, since because death is imminent, however, we see here that there's a victory over it, over it. The question I want to answer is, well, how can I live victoriously over death? Not just in the moment, but right here and now, at this moment, how can I have this kind of a victory? Because you see, in the same way that we encourage our young people to start investing to prepare for their retirement so don't we need to be investing spiritually for this moment that's inevitable. The passage I want to look at this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel 31. We'll be reading the entirety of that chapter. It's fairly short, verses 1 through 13. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 through 13. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. 
And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to, uh, is that right? Yes, I'm sorry. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. You may be seated. This morning we're ending uh, the book of 1 Samuel And the theme throughout this book has been trusting in times of transition. Even though Israel seems to be in a constant state of upheaval, we see God working His infinite purposes throughout this book. And one of the reasons I wanted to go through this book at this time is because I know that we as a nation are in a state of change. But you know what's changed as far as God working out His infinite purposes back then and now? Nothing. God is still working out His infinite purposes, and many people I know have been struggling with the changes going on, Uh, particularly probably since November. Um, Many people were unhappy about how the elections went in the fall. Uh, Some didn't think they were legitimate elections. And are still unhappy about it. But through the book of Samuel, we see that not only would God have him, not only would God have us trust him in the matter of national interests, but also in the matters of personal interests and individual interests. And whether transitioning from a theocracy to a monarchy like they've been doing in the book of 1 Samuel, or from one administration to the next in the United States, or even transitioning from the state of life to the state of death itself. God's hand is in it, and His infinite purposes are being worked out. And through the book of Samuel, ever since the young David came on the scene, we've seen this continued comparison of these two men, David versus Saul. David living out a life of faith, and you see God's purposes being lived out, portraying that life of faith. And the other, unfortunately, has lived a life that's been characterized by fear. 
And in the text we read today, we see this final demise of Saul. It's a tragic ending that Saul experiences. He set himself up for death by the way in which he lived his life. And through his repeated decisions, he's reaping what he's sown. He succumbs to the fear that had plagued him for years. And how we live our lives now is preparing us for that ultimate moment that's going to be here for us as well. So I want to talk, first of all, this morning, I want to talk about this demise of Saul. And we see that fear entraps. And then we're going to look at a review of the life of David, and we'll see that faith frees. Faith is what freed David to do the right things that he did. And then finally, we'll talk about living victoriously over death here and now, three ways to do that. So let's start out uh, by taking a look at the passage we just read, a little more depth. It's this tragedy of Saul. His end came just as the prophet Samuel said that it would. Back in chapter 28, we broke away to, uh, the, the text breaks away to talk about David. And now we come back to Saul himself. And we, we pick back up at this battle that's ensuing at Mount Gilboa. It was the one that he consulted the medium about. And things are not going to go well at all. In verses 1 through 6, we see Saul, he loses his sons. And the Philistines quickly decimate the Israelites. They had these iron chariots that they brought in. We we find that out uh, later on. But down in this valley where the land was flat, those, those chariots, those big iron chariots, would have worked very, very well. And they just ride over the Philistines. We see the, the death of Jonathan, the godly son of Saul, paying for the sins of his father, both he and his siblings. And then we get to Saul begging his armor-bearer to take his life. His armor-bearer was too terrified to do it. You don't just kill a king, kill the anointed one of of God. So Saul then proceeds to take his own life. The Philistines were known to be brutal. If you remember back uh, in the book of Judges, Samson, when he was taken captive by the Philistines, they they gouged out his eyes, they chained him to, to pillars. And no one wanted to be taken captive by these Philistines. It was always preferable to be killed beforehand. And then after the death of Saul, we see the armor bearer even take his own life, probably for the same reasons that Saul did. He knew what was coming, and he knew that death would be better. Then the Philistines proceed to desecrate the body of Saul. It's hard to even read all the things that they did They put his decapitated body on the wall of a city called Bethshan. The city sat at the head of two different valleys, the Jordan Valley on one side, the Jezreel Valley on the other. It was a a well-traveled area. As a matter of fact, the ruins of that place are still around today. And he was placed there as a sign. Ironically, he was decapitated. Do you recall what it was said about Saul at the beginning of the book? It said that he stood head and shoulders above the Israelites. Not now. That stature that he had was of no value in the end. Remember, people look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And his armor, was, it said, was placed in the temple, the Ashtoreth temple. Remember what happened to the, the sword and the 
armor of Goliath. They took it and they put it in the temple, giving God glory for that victory. Well, the Philistines were giving their own gods credit to this victory that they experienced. And they took the armor of Saul and they placed it in one of their pagan temples, the Asheroth temple. And Saul's last years ended as they did because he failed to acknowledge Yahweh as king. He was fearfully trying to hold on to power. It became more about him than it did about God. And blessings and curses in our life will come this way. If we selfishly pursue our own interests, we can expect things not to go well for us. But it's about putting your trust in and obeying God. As a matter of fact, if you want to understand just how tragic the death of Saul is, you can put up a mirror to it by looking at the death of Christ. Think about how Christ spent the night before his death, praying to God the Father. Then his life would be laid down as a, as a sacrifice to others rather than taking it himself. Saul spent the night before his death with a medium. And the only good that came out of his death was he cleared the way for someone else to come in and assume the throne. Christ laid down his life as a sacrifice for others. Saul just cleared the way for somebody better. Saul was ruled by fear. This is a theme that comes all through the book of Samuel when he disobeyed God and he didn't destroy all the Amalekites. Look at the reasons he offers in chapter 15, verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. It was a fear of people. But then after David was anointed and he was having success in battle again, how does Saul respond? Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Now he's fearing the success of someone else. It's taking away his identity as being strong and powerful. And then just prior to seeing that witch at Endor, when he saw the army of the Philistines, it said in 28.5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. We see the lack of faith in God, fearing the enemies of Israel. And then after he saw that witch, he thought he'd get the answers. He thought it would give him courage. Instead, what happened? He sees Samuel's spirit, and the text says in chapter 28, verse 20, Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear, because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Do you see the theme? Do you see what is ensnaring and entrapping Saul all throughout his life? Fear of man, fear of death, fear of the enemy, and fear of his identity as king being taken away. And it characterizes existence. It led to this disgraceful death that we just read about. Because see, fear is a horrible taskmaster. One of my favorite professors in seminary, I'll never forget, I'll never forget him saying, you know, one of the, one of the greatest tragedies, one of the greatest taskmasters is having to live under someone else's expectations. Living out of fear of disappointing someone else. The fear of death that could drive you to become irrational about your own health care. I was just reading about Larry King. He's spending a fortune right now. 
preparing himself. He's going to be frozen when he's dead. He's got hopes that he'll be revived at some point off in the future. And he says that's the only thing that's giving him hope. Fear should never get the final say in our lives. We should trust God at all times, but fear, it will entrap and it will enslave. I want to shift now to to look at David one more time because he didn't live his life entrapped by this fear. Instead, he chose faith. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't feel afraid and scared. What it means is he chose faith to govern him as opposed to those things he was afraid of. See, there's a huge difference. It was that great theologian John Way that said, fear is being scared to death but saddling up anyway. And this faith freed David. It freed him. Where Saul was entrapped, faith would be freedom for David to do both what needed to be done and not do what didn't need to be done. It was on both sides. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, there's a wonderful summary of David's actions in verses 32 through 34. This is um, probably Barnabas is the writer of Hebrews. He's speaking. He says, in this wonderful hall of fame of faith, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. And listen to this, listen to this list of accomplishments. Through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is what faith freed David to do, as well as all these other folks mentioned in this passage. He was free to kill Goliath. He was free not to kill Saul, even though his men were egging him on. That was the difference between David and Saul. Saul gave in to fear of the people. David did not. His faith made him free to do that. He was free to conquer nations, but he was also free to let God take care of that knucklehead Nabal. Remember the knucklehead Nabal? And then look at this difference in how David died. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. He'd just given his son Solomon a pep talk, by the way, that was, Solomon, you're going to be charged to take care of the kingdom. And the time that David reigned over Israel was, was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. No fear, no terror, peacefully passing on. He died in peace where Saul took his own life in battle. David died in victory. Saul would die in defeat. When David began to reign, the Philistines dominated Israel. But by the time Solomon took the throne, the country was in peace. In about a thousand years, as a matter of fact, after this, Christ himself would come from the line of David and he would assume the throne. So there's a marked difference between living a life of fear and living a life of faith. As a matter of fact, this past year, this past week, I'm sorry, we lost a a dear saint at First Baptist Church, Bill Brooks. He, He and Lorna would typically sit right over here. Um, He passed away in the night. 
And this was a man who lived a life of faith. He was a wonderful man. I was blessed to know him. And after many years of marriage, and I don't know how long Bill and Lorna were married, but you can imagine the grief and the heartbreak that his friends and family are, are feeling. But here's what faith does. Here's the difference it makes. That we as Christians, grieving the death of someone we know and love, can do it with hope. Because we believe it to be a temporary parting. Because we believe that we will be reunited with every loved one that we know who dies knowing Christ. And that's why this morning I hope that if you don't know Christ, that you will make a beeline to me. I'll be right down here in the front after the service. Talk to me. And you can live with a hope. We grieve with a hope because of the faith that we have that frees us to do that. It's not a forever goodbye when we lose a loved one. And the death and resurrection of Christ give us the freedom to hope, even in the middle of grief. We've got this wonderful promise. I want to bring up the same verse that I mentioned in the beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin. It's one of Satan's most powerful tools against us. And the power of the sin is law, meaning that the law was written because of sin. The law was written so we would know how to act. In the Old Testament, it was given to us so that we would know what it was we were supposed to do. That changed in the New Testament because we're now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's writing the laws on our hearts. It's a different program. But then look at what Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. A victory over sin and death. So the question then is, well, how do I live now in light of this victory that I have? I want to talk about three ways, and this comes through the text that we just read. And first of all, and I've mentioned this before, but finding the fear. Find the fear in your life and address it. What are you afraid of? I think that one of the things Paul, or rather Saul, became so scared of was the loss of his identity as the king. That's who he was. And he liked the, the, the privilege and the power that came with that. It would meant losing his identity if David was going to take this over, taking his place as a better warrior, if he became jealous and scared. What is it that you believe gives you value? Is it how smart you are, how much money you have, how good-looking you are? Typically, that thing that you're most scared of losing is that which you believe is giving you your security and your identity. And if you lose those things, it fills you with fear because you and I tend to have a warped view of what actually gives us value. You see, we're adopted children of God. That's who we are. And that's what gives us value. And that means that we are actually spiritually very rich. Now, just imagine for a moment, imagine that you're a billionaire, okay? Just imagine. If you are, then you don't have to imagine. But imagine you're a billionaire, and in your wallet, you've got three uh, $10 bills, okay? You've got three $10 bills, and you take your family to Kendrick Park, and you get out one of those $10 bills, and it's an $8 
ticket, but you decide you're going to be generous and give a tip. So you give that $10 bill there in the little ice cream hut, and you walk away. And later you look in your wallet, and you look, and there's only one $10 bill. Now remember, you're now that would really kind of torque me, but remember, we're imagining we're billionaires, okay? Now, how, how wrapped up are you going to get about this? Well, hopefully not very. I mean, you've got plenty of money. This shouldn't be a, a big deal. But are you going to freak out? Are you going to despair? Are you going to shake a fist at God and curse Him? You shrug it off. You're not worried about it. But see, what about this week? What happens if someone criticizes you? What if you see that your 401k drops a little bit? What if a friend betrays you? And those are all real losses, by the way. But you're a Christian. And as Christians, we should be looking at these things differently than non-Christians do. Do we really understand how spiritually rich we are? Tim Keller, he he talks about this. He says, if you're, if you're upset about your status with other people, if you're constantly lashing out at people for hurting your feelings, you might call it a lack of self-control or a lack of self-esteem, and it is. But more fundamentally, he said, you've totally lost touch with your identity. And as a Christian, you are a spiritual billionaire, and you're wringing your hands over $10. See, Saul was unable to see the riches that he had in God. He totally missed it. And he was fearfully walking around, terrified he was going to lose something. He chose fear over faith. And then secondly, stay close to Christ. Stay close to Christ. Don't wander. See, Saul wandered. He went seeking the advice of of mediums. He was fearing man instead of fearing God alone. And see, we can wander. You know, and summertime can be prime time to do that. So a lot of times in summertime, we become uh, tourists, and we pop in and out of places, and we'll go somewhere, and we'll spend a little time there, but it doesn't really change us that much. And we'll go over here, and we'll see what this place can offer us and make us feel good. And then we pop back out of there. Don't become a tourist with God this summer. Don't give up on the disciplines that you know you need to be doing. Keep praying. Keep spending time with the Lord. Keep coming to church. Go to church when you can, even if you're on vacation. Don't wander. Saul completely lost sight of his mission. He was supposed to be simply going out and taking the land that God had promised the Israelites, and instead he became so fearful that he couldn't do that. Don't get lost in the physical world around us. And then, finally, imagine life beyond. Imagine life beyond. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, beyond what? Well, beyond what you can see. See, Saul got so stuck in his little world and himself, he completely lost sight of the big picture. Again, he was supposed to be obedient to God, and God would bless them. And Saul would have done fine if he would have kept that in view. But he didn't. He decided he knew better. 
And if we get hung up on the physical world, only the world that we can see around us, if we're, not, if we're, if we're, simply, uh, if we're walking by sight instead of walking by faith, which is what the righteous do, then we'll get lost. You have to think about that world beyond, our ultimate destination, the one where Bill Brooks is today. He's experiencing life like he's never experienced it before right now. Better than it ever has been. You know, in the New Testament, when we look at the disciples of Christ, all of them except for John were martyred. And they, they all died, often in horrific, torturous kind of ways. And they knew this was going to happen in many cases before, and yet they willingly, they didn't take their own lives. Their lives were taken for them because of the commitment they'd made to Christ. Now, what, what made that faith so strong? They witnessed something. They were all, they were with Christ. And after Christ was resurrected, they watched him physically come off the earth and move up into the sky. And they realized that Christ came and died. And whenever they died, this is what was going to happen with them. And it was like, oh, I, I think we get it. And that empowered them to move on and thought, well, that's what this thing's going to end like. We're going to be given a new body. We're going, to, we're going to follow Christ right up into heaven. That's the hope of the Christian. If we can get that locked into our heads and think about that, imagine what that moment might be like. There was a song written about it, right? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or on my knees will I be still? I don't know. It'll be better than here. So they lived in light of that truth. They could fulfill the mission with no regard for themselves because they knew what the ultimate outcome was. Man, church, I wonder what we could accomplish if we just lived like that. What could we do for God in the here and now? So I want to sum this up by saying, die to fear and live for Christ. Die to the fears that you have and then live for Christ. I want to finish up. This is a story from a man named Craig Keener. He was, he was a pastor, and he was counseling a young couple that was in his office. He was doing premarital counseling with them, and things were going very well. He was kind of putting the finishing touches on what the marriage uh, ceremony was going to look like. But then at the end of the very last meeting, the, the young man jumped up and said, I just have to say, I am so scared of this. Then all of a sudden, he had the undivided attention of his fiancée, wondering, oh, what's going on here? Is he getting cold feet? What's he thinking? And then he quickly added, he said, no, honey. He said, I'm not afraid of being married to you. He said, I'm afraid of losing you. He said, my mother died, and he said the grief was overwhelming. And he said, I love you even more, and I don't know if I can survive if something happens to you. And then the pastor said that he looked at me. He could tell from those pleading eyes, he was wanting some assurance to say, no, you're young, you're healthy, this isn't going, you're not going to die. But he said, I can't do that. He said he'd buried too many young people to know that was true. Instead, he said this, in my experience, 
100% of all marriages come to an end. Some tragically through divorce or early death. Others last for over 60 years. He said if your marriage is long and filled with intimacy, then when death comes, you're going to be even more in love than you are now. Then it will hurt even more to say goodbye when the time finally comes. And he said, that's the best scenario you've got. So why do you want to go through marriage wondering if this is the day you'll lose your beloved? He said, give her up today. Get the grieving over with. Die to your right to have her. Die to your fear of losing her. And die to the myth that you can keep her. Until you do, you'll be too afraid to enjoy her. He said that wasn't what the young man wanted to hear. But went on to say that on this side of Easter, it's the only thing a pastor can say because the terrifying truth of the cross even speaks to something like marriage. That it's only in dying that we can finally live. Please pray with me. Almighty God, I pray that we would not get so hung up on the physical world that we can see, on hanging on to our own lives, on being fearfully trying to hang on to some sense of an identity that we get through whatever means it may be, that we lose sight of how spiritually rich we truly are. And I pray that would be both a comfort today and a comfort in the end. And I pray that we would be putting Credits in that spiritual bank account, God, in the sense that we do not live each day as though we are going to live forever because we are not. You've numbered our days. And unless you come back, at some point through death we'll go home. And Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us what was going to happen. Thank you for those faithful disciples you chose that told us what they saw and all those others who saw you when you were resurrected, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we would live with that reality, that someday we will follow suit. Give us courage and give us strength to live out the work you've given us to do. It's in your holy and precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as a quick reminder, today is the day that we take up our elder offering. Uh, there should be someone standing back by these doors with an offering plate. Uh, and if you would like to contribute to that, that's how we help out needs here in the body. Otherwise, thank you. Have a wonderful day. And you're dismissed.